This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you are based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, a very good morning to you. How are you? Okay, Tov. It's been a, a fairly tough week, but mm. um, it's uh, good to try and perhaps uh, loosen things up a little bit. Just uh, a couple of snippets from the, some of the things we spoke about yesterday. Um, we spoke about, or I spoke about, the fact that an Israeli ship had managed to break through the Russian blockade of the Black Sea towards um, the port, the Ukrainian port on the Danube. Well, the latest story that's come out of that uh, particular uh, area is that a Russian drone apparently attacked the port, the Ukrainian port yesterday morning and damaged something like 40,000 tons of grain, which were expected to be exported to uh, countries in Africa, also China and, of course, Israel. Um, so the fact that the Israeli ship managed to break through the blockade doesn't seem to have helped very much because mm-hmm. all the grain that was going to be loaded onto the ship has now apparently been destroyed by that Russian drone attack, which is really amazing because we know that this our Ukrainian war has resulted in a massive increase in the cost of grain um, across the world because of um, the lack of supply coming from Ukraine. We also spoke yesterday about Tuba, the Jewish festival of love. And um, at this time of year, there are always these fascinating stories that come out about couples that have met recently and how they've got together. And the latest version of love stories is all surrounding the protests. Uh, And three couples apparently got together by meeting at protests. How did your parents meet? They met on the Ayalon Highway around a bonfire on a protest night. So um, three couples came forward saying that they'd met each other. And it's hardly surprising. Mm. 30 weeks in a row of people turning up every week. Inevitably, you're going to get to meet people. Uh, and I just wonder whether this is going to give rise to a much more activist generation. Parents, children of parents being very involved in these protests and demonstrations growing up to be, I don't know, Gen A, activism, mm, mm. Um, call it what you want. But I think it's nice that people are kind of meeting in the real world rather than in the kind of sterile social media environment. I don't know what you guys think about that, but it's, it's kind of got a nice ring to it. It really does. I think it's a very, very cool story. Imagine being able to tell tell that to your kids. Well, I guess depending on how the whole thing works out at the end. But uh, either way, it's a great story. The IDF Chief General of Staff uh, yesterday visited Israel's northern border, and that was to assess the situation amidst heightening tension with Hezbollah. What is the situation up north? Well, um, we have had quite a number of incidents on the northern border recently, many of them involving Hezbollah um, activists actually transgressing the border, coming over to the Israeli side of the border, not necessarily coming directly into Israel deeply, although there was one uh, situation where a Hezbollah activist 
did come right into Israel, um, and we did speak about that. But more recently, we've had just a few examples of Hezbollah testing the boundaries and planting tents across the border, trying every effort just to uh, test uh, the strength of that border. And yesterday we had uh, the IDF Chief of General Staff, Herzi Alevi, uh, touring the northern border. And he said that, um, um, that Israel has been doing quite a lot in order to reinforce that border. Apparently dozens of kilometers of additional fencing and obstacles have been put along the Lebanese border in recent months in order to secure that border. It's interesting that in spite of the fact that Hezbollah has transgressed the border and there have been incursions onto the Israeli side, it hasn't resulted in an upflare of, 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 of violence, of, situa- of any military activities. And I think that the IDF are really trying to keep um, a, a, some sort of a sensible control over things, not to allow the situation to get um, out of hand and to create a new conflict but also to police it as carefully as possible. And, of course, there's quite a lot of work being done at the United Nations because there is still a United Nations force that patrols that uh, northern border between Israel and Lebanon. And uh, we expect that the United Nations uh, Security Council will meet uh, very, very soon in order to renew the unifil contract, the unifil work that's being done on that northern border uh, that, that apparently is, is due to take place quite soon. And, of course, a number of uh, objections have been lodged at the United Nations in order to, uh, to, to uh, register the fact that Israel is not happy with those incursions, particularly in the areas of Har Dov, uh, Mount Dov, uh, and we spoke about those tents that have been set up across the border. So things are definitely more tense. Uh, and the fact that the idea of Chief of General Staff Hetzia Levy has decided to visit the northern border to assess the IDF's preparedness for any event that might take place there indicates that there is a certain level of concern about what's going on and those uh, potential violent escalations that may happen along the northern border. Um, But only time will tell. Um, I think that Hezbollah might feel a little bit emboldened by some of the internal strife that Israel has been experiencing. And we've certainly seen um, Hezbollah leader uh, Nassan Hasrallah coming out uh, saying that Israel is weakened. And we've seen two speeches by Nasrallah over the last uh, two or three weeks where he's been very, very, um, uh, very uh, attacking in the way that he speaks about Israel and, and trying to um, create a, a certain feeling amongst his followers that now is the time to attack a much weakened Israel. Um, and I'm not sure that um, that's really the, 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 the reality of the situation, but at least that's a perception that um, Israel's enemies have right now due to some of the things that we've been going through internally. I would imagine it's quite the opposite, actually, because if anything will unite... I don't think... Uh, uh, I think they're miscalculating the actual unity in Israel by, you know, with us, because if anything had to change the whole approach, it would be an external attack. So I would I, imagine... I, think so. I agree with that, and I, I really do agree with that. And, and, you know, one of the things that I've said before, and I'll say it again, is that even though... In Internally, we have diversions and we have splits and, and disagreements over how we should run things internally. But we're all united under that same flag. And even people who people come from different sides of this particular discussion are all fighting 
in a sense, all protesting, all demonstrating, mm. all act, mm. being activists in favor of a safer Jewish state of Israel. Exactly how Jewish and, and what Judaism means to everybody is a point of debate. But ultimately, everybody wants the safety of our state. And I don't think that there are many people living here who wouldn't uh, come to the help of the country when needed if there was an external attack. Mm. And in fact, quite the opposite. I think it would, it would unite people and, and perhaps, uh, yeah, I, I, look, I, it's, I would, I would imagine that they know that, irrespective of, of what they're saying. I certainly think we've seen, um, Hamas indicating that, basically standing back rather at this point and not getting uh, too involved with anything. So, uh, it, I would be surprised, but, uh, obviously we, it, it, it's a real concern. The other story is that a woman was injured in a terror attack in the Jordan Valley yesterday. Yeah, so again, another terror attack, unfortunately, um, taking place one day after the previous terror attack where six people were injured um, in Malaya Domain. This time, um, there was a car driving in the area of the Jordan Valley that was fired upon, and a, a family woman, a, a husband and wife, and, and, and their children driving in the car. Um, fortunately, um, the uh, injuries were relatively a minor and um, the, the lady, the mother of the family in the car was injured apparently by a glass that was broken. She was 31 years old and she was treated at the scene for light wounds. Um, but it was, you know, what we call in the business a drive-by shooting. Someone just drove past the car and began shooting at their car, which is a very, very frightening situation and, of course, can cause a lot of death and injury and has in the past caused death and injury. This time, I think it's relatively benign, um, even though the attack, of course, is very, very serious. And it just continues to demonstrate how uh, volatile and, and sensitive the situation is right now, um, quite precarious, lots and lots of um, attacks being planned, you know, being carried out. Um, the uh, security service is very much on t to all of this to try and identify who was involved to try and um, uh, to try and exercise the uh, intelligence information that is being generated in order to be able to potentially prevent attacks like this from taking place. But unfortunately, in spite of the fact that so many attacks are actually prevented by great intelligence work, ultimately. There are some attacks that cannot be avoided, and of I course, when you say, see drive is there a way to even avoid these? I mean, obviously, uh, all intelligence information helps, but I, I can't imagine that this type of attack is is uh, very easy to to avoid. Where the attacks are being carried out in an orchestrated way by groups who are sending people in to carry out an attack, it's much easier to generate. Um, intelligence and to, to, to get upon uh, information and communications between these groups rather than if the attack is being carried out by what they like to call a lone wolf, somebody who potentially is not necessarily representative of an organization, hasn't had a lot of communications, there haven't been flows of funds or flows of weapons backwards and forwards. Those kind of situations are much more difficult to, uh, to prevent from happening and therefore there has to really be a number of different levels of security. One, of course, is intelligence to try to get on top of some of those larger attacks which are being orchestrated by uh, groups and involve many, many people in communications. But there is also 
um, the level of security that's required just on the ground. People being cautious, security personnel being deployed in all of the sensitive situations in order to somehow respond like they did in Nailadumim. There was, there happened to be a border security policeman, happened to be in the barbershop nearby. He was the one who took control of the situation and managed to avoid what could have been a much, much greater tragedy. So that level of security is also required. And of course, when we see drive-by shootings of the nature that we saw yesterday, we just can't forget what happened to the D family, who's, uh, the attack of which took place quite near to where this um, attack yesterday took place. Yesterday's one, fortunately, um, much, much, much uh, calmer than uh, what happened to the D family. But, of course, um, as we've already seen, these can be very, very serious indeed. They uh, really can. And, of course, that is a something that is just a constant worry. The uh, police are dealing with accusations of brutality against demonstrators. Uh, what are the accusations? Yeah, so this is an ongoing story about the way in which police, the Israeli police have been dealing with demonstrators and and everything is recorded in front of police cameras. There is nowhere to hide where this kind of thing is concerned. And in fact, Israeli police are required also to carry body cams. So they are by law required to have body cameras on their person and the the, uh, the police complaints authority is entitled to um, ask for footage from body cameras in order to show what's been going on with the police. Now, we've got a situation where an individual who is the chief of one of the special patrol units is being accused alongside a, a number of other people of uh, some sort of brutality of using excess force against protesters who've been opposed to the government's judicial overhaul. Um, and also, they did not have body cams. So that's already a transgression, mm. even if they didn't do anything wrong. The fact that they don't have any body cam footage is already a problematic situation for them that they're going to have to deal with. A of course, the protesters have been quite forward. They've been very, very bold in some of the things that they've been doing. The police have been trying to keep highways clear and keep roads flowing and keep traffic moving around the protesters. And the protesters have had exactly the opposite intention. So there's a certain culture clash. There's a certain uh, there's a certain clash that is inevitably going to happen. But there are certainly some uh, scenes, some uh, TV footage that I've seen of police being quite violent in taking people off the street and trying to clear um, highways in and trying to arrest people um, in, in trying to subdue people who have been very, very determined not to be cleared off roads. So um, inevitably there is going to be a clash, um, but our police are held to a very, very high standard. Of course, everything is being filmed. And in another kind of related story, there have been uh, quite a lot of dilemma within the volunteers who help the police out there, quite a, a, a good few thousand volunteers who get called upon from time to time to help police out. Some of those volunteers have said, we're resigning because of what's been going with the judicial uh, protests. Some have actually been fired because the police feel that they're using the situation to kind of express a little bit too much violence. So there's been a lot of controversy around the volunteers within the police force, but overall, our police are, cu are currently under a lot of scrutiny for their behaviour in these judicial protests. Yeah, and uh, I guess that's the way it should be. They, uh, every police force should be monitored, and uh, and uh, people need to keep an eye on these things. It, it's never, never simple. Anthony Reich, thank you as always. Thank you for an incredible week of reporting. We've had some really, really, I think, important conversations during the the course of. 
of the week. Certainly it gave me a lot of clarity, and uh, I hope it helped listeners as well. Wishing you a fantastic weekend, a Shabbat Shalom, and we'll catch you on Monday. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com.